Let's pray and let's dig into the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray for those that are here, those that are watching on live stream, and those that are going to watch later on video, Lord, just use your Word for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, not the words of man that are a waste of time, but may the Word of God go forth with power. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. So I've been going through the book of Samuel. Now we're in 2 Samuel. First and 2 Samuel originally were just one book. Uh, the, the verses and chapters were just put in there to help us find things. But in the first book, we saw, again, the whole story of Samuel and then, and then David being anointed king and fighting Goliath and then them people crying out for a king and they gave him King Saul. We got to the end of the book and we saw King Saul pass away. He died, basically committed suicide or someone helped him commit suicide. And David had been anointed king when he was between the ages of 12 and 15. And now as we come to 2 Samuel, uh, 20, over 20 years have gone by. And can you imagine when someone, someone came and told you that God has a special plan for your life and he tells you what it is, and 20 years later it still hasn't happened yet. And that's what's been happening in the life of David. David spent time running from King Saul. He spent time after being used mightily by the Lord... And then he was running from uh, the king who wanted him dead. And now, as we've gotten into 2 Samuel, we saw the last couple of weeks that even after Saul died, the king that the people cried out for, if you were not here, they said, we want a king because everyone else has a king. And we want a king judged based on worldly standards. So we want a guy who's big and strong that we can follow. And it says of King Saul, he was taller than anybody else. He was the best looking person in all of Israel. So he was a good-looking guy, and he was charismatic, and he was tall, and, and he was strong. And, but the Lord warned him, if you make him your king, he will bring harm to your people. And they said, we don't care. We want him anyway. So they took Saul as the king. They chose Saul over God. And then the last few chapters we saw, and it lasted about seven years, they chose Ishbosheth over David. So David was the anointed king, and everybody knew it. It was so obvious and so evident in his life. He was the one, again, after slaying Goliath, after uh, leading their armies into battle, that they sing songs about him. Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So everybody knew that God's hand was on David, but people are also fearful of Saul. Now Saul is dead, and instead of making David the, the king who is the rightful king, he'd been anointed but not appointed, right? He'd been anointed by God, but he wasn't serving in that position yet. So they raised up this guy, if you were here the last few weeks, by the name of Ishbosheth. Now Ishbosheth was the youngest son of King Saul. And King Saul had died and Jonathan had died. And so Abner, who was his general, comes up with an idea. Let's just make Ishbosheth the king. And they made this guy king. And here's what we know about him. Very little. The Bible doesn't talk about him much. But he know, we know that when his family was out fighting and his people were fighting, he was staying at home doing nothing. That's certainly not the guy I want for king. Can I get an amen to that? Also, we know that he was a man who was easily manipulated. So Abner, who's kind of a strong guy, he's a general in the army, says, let's make Ishbosheth king. So only one of the 12 tribes actually made David king, and it was Judah, which was his home tribe. And they were, again, the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to be Jesus. He comes through the line of David. But the other 11 sided with Ishbosheth. Then some great battles took place. If you were here the last few weeks, if you weren't, you can grab the CDs, or you can go online and listen to them. 
And we know that what ended up happening, and there was a conflict that took place. And Abner ran for his life. But in running for his life, he killed Azahel. Azahel was a brother to Joab. Joab was David's king, and Abner was Ishbosheth's king. So we saw this whole situation taking place, and eventually Joab kills Abner after he had come over to David's side. And we're finally now in a place where, okay, now what's going to happen? They chose Ishbosheth over David. They had chosen Saul over Almighty God. Now Ishbosheth is dead. And now Judah has David ruling over them and the other 11 tribes. Who's going to step up and take Ishbosheth's place? So I tell the message tonight. If you got your outline, by the way, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand, we'll get you one. It helps to follow along. I tell the message seek, wait, and obey. And the reason I will see why as we go through the text tonight, why I call it that, but we're going to see that something that happens in our lives, happened in the life of King David, certainly not to the extreme it happened with David, but often God will have a calling he places upon your life, but he doesn't put you into that place he's called you immediately. And I don't know about you, I may be the only person that ever struggles with having to wait. Can I get an amen to that? We don't like to wait, but we're going to see in tonight's text that when we are waiting, God is working. Can I get an amen? And as we wait, God is preparing us for something. And no suffering is wasted, and no time in the mundane things is wasted at all. God is using it for his glory. So point number one, God is working while we are waiting. We'll see that men choose according to their fleshly desires, and God calls according to his will. We'll see three reasons why. They say that they finally are going to make David the king of all of Israel. And the three things that, three reasons why they choose him, I think, are great uh, requirements for Christians today who are in any position of leadership. He was one of them, need to be a believer. He was gifted to lead, and he was called by God. And we'll see that in tonight's text. Number two, in seek, wait, and obey, we need to be moved by God's commands, not the fear of man. Too often today, people respond because they're afraid of man instead of being faithful to God. You know, a lot of pastors today that I talk to online or have discussions with, do you know that they're afraid to speak the gospel with boldness? Do you know that they're afraid to talk about sin and hell? Do you know they're afraid? You know why they're afraid? Because most of them, their livelihood depends on enough people being at church, and they're afraid if they speak the truth with boldness that so many people will leave that they will lose their jobs. I'm so thankful I have a full-time job. You can't even fire me if you wanted to. The reality is I'm doing this for the Lord, and we are not going to compromise the gospel. Can I get an amen to that? But people often, often operate in fear. Instead of stepping out in faith. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. Number three, we're called to serve others, not to make a name for ourselves. You know, my prayer for all of us is always that this, that I hope when we share our faith with somebody that they forget us and remember him. Can I get an amen to that? They forget our name. It's not about us. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's, not, it's about Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. And we're going to see that there's a, you know, we want to make our names great. When we fall into the flesh, we want people to remember us. There even becomes celebrity within the church. We've got to be careful of that. You hear me say it often, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity. What's his name? Jesus Christ. So third point there, called to serve others, not to make a name for ourselves. 
And then we're going to see that seeds of great failure are planted in times of great success. Here's what can happen. When God starts using you mightily, or when your life becomes really fruitful, it's easy for us to start to think maybe we had something to do with it. It's also easy for us to quit being as desperate for God as we should be. And before you know it, if we're not careful, we'll think that we can get away with certain things that are clearly contrary to the Word of God. We're going to see that with King David tonight. You know, when I, when, tonight it's amazing. King, King David really compartmentalizes his life. When it comes to battles, that brother's on his knees. He doesn't do anything without asking God. He's on his knees, he cries out to the Lord, he wins one battle, another battle comes, he gets back on his knees, he cries out to the Lord. You know when he could have used that prayer life? When he was collecting wives. Can I get an amen to that? When he goes to battle, he's on his knees before the Lord, but when it's collecting women, he seems to forget to pray. Because if he was praying, he'd stop collecting wives and concubines, and as we're going to see in a little while, other people's wives. David's got a lust problem, and that's a problem that a lot of men and women have. Can I get an amen to that? And you know what? Whatever that issue is in your life, it may not be lust. It might be anger. It might be greed for money. Whatever it is, that when you're doing well in your relationship with the Lord, the enemy will often try to get you to a place where you're complacent, where you stop getting on your knees and seeking the Lord, where you cease to be desperate for Almighty God. My prayer daily is, Lord, keep me humble, broken, and desperate, and do whatever is necessary to keep me there. Can I get an amen to that? We don't really want to pray that. We might do something heavy. Amen. Because if he does, we need it. Can I get an amen to that? And we're going to see in King David's life tonight, this guy's such an enigma. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a mighty warrior for the Lord. He's faithful and fearless. And he's also a womanizer. He's got a lust problem. Lord, help us. And then finally, as we seek, wait, and obey, keep seeking the Lord for direction. Guys, we should be praying about every decision we make. Can I get an amen to that? We should put the, the Lord isn't the last resort. He's the first place we stop. If you're praying about a job change, you're praying about what's going on with your children, you pray, we, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. So let's begin there in 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to see, seek, wait, and obey. Ishbosheth's now dead. He was murdered, if you'll remember. David wasn't happy about it. He didn't, want, he didn't want this rival king put to death, just like he didn't want King Saul put to death. But now there's a void. Ishbosheth's gone. The other 11 tribes don't have a king. Who's going to be their king? And how is it going to come about? Let's begin there. In verse 1 of chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. You know what's amazing to me? If you go to Chronicles, by the way, Chronicles and 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles parallel each other. And if you go read in Chronicles, it's, a lot of it just sometimes it gives a little more detail. And the detail from Chronicles tells us that guess how many people came to Hebron of all the 12 tribes of Israel to basically tell David they wanted him to be king? It's a little under 350,000. I think they woke up. Can I get an amen to that? Now they say that you're... 
you're a, a child of Israel just like we are. You're one of our people. And then they say, you know what? You are the one who led Israel. Now, duh, that happened. That started happening 20 years ago. And yet it takes all this time for them finally to come to David and realize he's God's man. See, they again, they had chosen Saul, and then they had chosen Ishbosheth. And sometimes God has to take away every other option so we will choose God's plan. Can I get an amen to that? Praise God that God loves me enough and loves you enough to take away the ungodly option sometimes that we just won't let go of. When I thought about this, I thought about maybe you're in a relationship with an unbeliever. And you're, you love this person, and you've given your heart to this person, and then God, in his, in his grace, if that person doesn't get saved, God does something, and that person leaves. And you're heartbroken, when you ought to be thanking the Lord, amen? You want not to be unequally yoked, and then God brings the godly person along, and praise God for that. And so, here's what's happened. They've had two bad kings in a row. They had one that they cried out for, and he... You know, he didn't fight Goliath when he should have. And the guy, you know, he was, he was a fearful man instead of a faithful man. And he was an envious man and a jealous man. And now he got his son, who was, a, who was a, a, an easily manipulated guy who hid when everyone was fighting. And David is a mighty man of God. Guys, we need to choose and allow, allow God to raise people up instead of us choosing based on, on our preferences. Can I get an amen to that? There are churches today, it's amazing, they'll be looking for a pastor for four years. Four years, three years, trying to find a pastor. They bring in all these people in, they got boards of people, they're trying to find the right person. Here's the reality, if the pastor makes disciples of the people that are there, if he gets hit by a truck, someone else can be the pastor the next day. Can I get an amen to that? But here's what happens, when you vote to bring somebody in from outside and try to raise somebody up, when that guy gets, you know, leaves or something happens, you got to start that process all over again. It's a mess. Well, that's what happened in Israel. And praise God that the Lord's stirring them up to recognize David has been the guy all the time. Now, we're going to see in a moment that David is going to be, he says there in that verse, you shall be the shepherd. Isn't that interesting that that's the term they use? You will be the shepherd over all of Israel. What, would, what did David do? What was David doing when he got anointed king? He was a shepherd. David was a teenage boy. Samuel was told by God that the king was going to be one of the, the sons of a man by the name of Jesse. So Samuel goes out to Jesse's house and he says, Bring in your sons. And he starts bringing them in one at a time. First guy's good looking and strong and yoked, and Samuel's like, this is the guy. No, it's not him. Next guy, not quite as yoked, but still handsome, good not him either. He goes through all of his sons and finally says to Jesse, you got any more? I got one more, a little ruddy one. He's out watching the sheep. Bring him in. He comes walking in. He doesn't look like a king, and that's what that famous verse is that's quoted often. Man doesn't look on the out, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Can I get an amen to that? So he's this is God's man. They pour oil on him in front of all of his brothers. They anoint him. He's the king. And what does he do? As soon as he gets anointed, he goes right back out, and he's shepherding a flock of sheep when nobody's watching. It's been said reputation is who you are when everyone's watching and character is who you are when no one is watching. And David was watching sheep, which is the lowest job you can get to be the shepherd 
And not only was he watching sheep, but he was laying down his life to protect these sheep. We know in the word it tells us he fought lions and bears and killed them with his bare hands. And you know what? All along, God was preparing him for something else. Amen? And sometimes when you have a menial job that you don't think is of any value, you're doing something to serve in ministry, you're doing something in your life, and you just think it's not that important, do you know that everything that we are doing is something that God is using to prepare us for what is next? Can I get an amen to that? First thing I ever did in, in church was when I was probably 10 years old, I started working in the nursery to help out. And then later, when we started going to Calviano Valley, I came early to set up chairs and to run the sound system. You know, I mean, we just, you just serve any way you can. And guys, whatever we do, let's do it for the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? And here's the reality. If somebody's not willing to set up chairs, if someone's not willing to serve, they're never going to be called to lead. And David had a servant's heart. David kept watching the sheep, as we know, and eventually there's a battle with, this, with the Philistine army. And the, the champion of the Philistines, 11 foot, 750 pound Goliath, in the valley of Elah, which I've been to, they mount up on each side. He would come down every day and he would challenge the armies of Israel that, you know, you send out your champion. If your champion beats us, we'll serve you. If, you're, if, my, if we beat you, you have to serve us. And Saul was supposed to be the guy to go down there, but the kingdom had already been ripped from him. God had told him, the kingdom's been ripped from you because you did not honor the Lord. And you know what? For 40 days, nobody stepped up. And then Jesse sends David out to deliver cheese to his brothers in case they were hungry, sitting there doing nothing. But he sent them out there. And when he showed up, the Holy Spirit entered the camp and everything changed. Amen? So that's David. He's been, by the time this happens now, he's already served seven years over just Judah. And he's waited about 15 years or more because he's 30 years old now, we're about to see. And he was between 12 and 15 when he was anointed king. So it's been, it's been a long time coming for David to become king. It's been 15 to 18 years. And now what God had called him to is finally going to take place. And God's preparation, everything that David went through was not a waste of time. So the shepherd boy becomes the shepherd of Israel. And again, sometimes we drag our feet at doing lonely or menial things before us like tending sheep, but sometimes those are the things that God is training us for what is ahead. Again, David was faithful when no one was watching, and God was preparing him to be brave when everyone was watching. See, David had killed lions and bears when no one was watching, and then he killed a giant when almost all of the Philistines and the whole army of Israel was watching. And guys, here's the reality. If I'm praying, if I'm spending intimate time with the Lord, if I spend time talking to him every day, and I have intimate fellowship with him when I'm alone, it makes it a lot easier for me to talk to someone else about him when I'm in a crowd. Can I get an amen to that? If I'm talking to him, it makes it a lot easier for me to talk about him. Can I get an amen? Here's King David. He's being faithful Again, when no one's watching and God is preparing him. We know this, that David becomes Israel's greatest king. There were kings in Israel that maybe had larger armies or maybe more wealth, but David was used in a mighty and a powerful way. Only recognized by one of the 12 tribes for the first seven years, it took the death of Ishbosheth for him to be able to take his place. 
And so too the Lord will often remove an ungodly choice that we have made out of his love and grace to bring us to the place where he wants us to be. Anytime we choose contrary to what God has for us, we are in sin. Can I get an amen to that? God says, here's what I have for you. I'm not saying, you know, you've lost your salvation. But guys, so many of us, we have saved souls and wasted lives. We've missed out on God's highest. God has a calling on your life. God wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. And we don't like to get out of our comfort zone. But if we sit back and we miss out on what God has for us, again, we can end up with a saved soul and wasted life. Here's the things that people choose instead of God's highest. Pleasure, power, position, money, comfort, fame. You know, King Saul was in a position, he loved the power and the authority. King David is going to have a different heart, at least initially. Israel was in rebellion when they cried out for King Saul. And so too, the 11 tribes were in rebellion when they called out for Ishbosheth. And again, if you look from spiritual eyes, it makes no sense that anybody would ever pick Ishbosheth. Again, what I say about him, he had done nothing. Nothing in the Bible even mentions him doing anything except not showing up when they're fighting. He was also, again, was one, not only he stayed home, but he was only chosen king because he was in the bloodline of Saul and he was easily manipulated. So here's one, one option. Who, what's his name? I've never seen him before. I've never seen you on the battlefield. Where have you been? Hanging out at home with mom? What are you doing, bro? You're, not, you're easily manipulated. You're kind of a wimpy guy. You won't speak up. And here's the other option. I think even the United States would pick the right guy in this one. Let's see. David, God's anointed king, anointed by the prophet Samuel, filled with the Holy Spirit, served faithfully when no one was watching. In the battle of the Philistines, he saw things from a spiritual perspective when no one else did. He slayed a giant. He led Israel into battle against the Philistines. He slayed, Saul slayed his thousands, David slayed his tens of thousands. He bought the foreskins of 200 Philistines to the feet of King Saul as a dowry to marry Michael, his daughter. He played worship music when the king was being uh, oppressed by a demon, and when he would play music, the demon would flee from him. David is a spirit-filled, mighty warrior of God, a man of God, who is fearless and faithful, and they choose a guy who's hiding, won't fight, and is easily manipulated. Lord help. Can I get an amen? But here's what happens. When you look at things from a physical perspective... You can choose an Ishbosheth, but when you spend time on your knees and you say, Lord, help me to see this the way you see it, you'll pick a David every time. Can I get an amen to that? See, guys, we make horrible choices. When you look at Israel, you think, what a bunch of knuckleheads. We can probably look back in our own life and see that we've made choices based solely on the flesh that make absolutely no sense if we had spent time in prayer. Can I get an amen to that? And that's exactly what had taken place here. So they finally show up, and the three things they say to David, first they say, you are of our bone and your flesh. We're, we're a part of you. You're one of us. You're one of us. You're, you're a child of Israel. You're a, you're a child of the king. Second, you've been gifted to lead. We've already seen you go out and fight battles. You've won battles in the past. We know you're gifted to lead. And then thirdly, in the second part of verse 2, he says there that, you shall, the Lord said to you, you shall, you shall shepherd my people Israel. So he was 
chosen to lead, he was a gifted to lead, and he was chosen by God, and he was a man of Israel. And you know what? This is a requirement for people, that, men and women, to serve in ministry. We need to be, first of all, born again. Can I get an amen to that? Now, you would think that's pretty basic, but I've gone to churches where the entire worship team is paid and nobody's saved. Uh, we ain't never do, we're not doing that here. I'd rather have somebody up here with a mouth harp and a bad voice who loves Jesus than, you know, than an entire rock and roll band that, that, that doesn't know God. Can I get an amen? But too often, we try to put the ark in the hands of people who don't know the Lord. So they first need to be saved, and second, they need to have the gift to lead, and then they need to be called by God. And those are requirements for anybody to, to lead in the body of Christ, and they recognize this about David finally, and they're ready to make him the man, put him in the position that God had already always called him to. Can you imagine me, David, having waited this long? Can you imagine having known since you were 12 years old? 12 to 15 years old, and all these years later, it's finally about to happen. Verse 3. Therefore the elders of Israel came to the king in Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. I love the word anointed there. It's, uh, it's mashak. It's where we get the word Messiah. You know, the Messiah is called the anointed one. So the same word here for David being anointed, and it's interesting, the anointed David, and the word there is Messiah, and we know that the Messiah will be the son of David. Jesus comes through the line of David, and so they anoint him, and again, it's that root word for Messiah. It says there in verse 4 and 5, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. So David waited anywhere from 15 to 18 years to finally become king, but then he reigned for 40 years. Now, I think it would be easier to wait for 12 years if you knew you were going to reign for 40 years. But David had no idea when he would become king. He knew he was going to become king or how long he would reign. And guys, it's easy to look back and say, well, yeah, that tough time, it, it seemed brutal at the time, but it was totally worth it because I saw the outcome. Here's the hard part, guys. When you're in a tough time, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Can I get an amen to that? Lord, I don't understand. Why am I going through this? Why, why am I so much? I had a guy call me just the other day. He's like, Pastor Dave, I don't understand. I just feel like God's had me in a room, hit me with a stick for the last two years. I just, everything in my life's falling apart. I don't get it. And the good news is that no suffering is wasted. Can I get an Amen. That whatever trials we're going through, God will use for his glory if we will let him. So he was anointed king of Judah, and then seven and a half years later, he finally becomes the king of Israel. And it says, in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel. So the 33 years didn't start till seven more years into David's time. So now David has waited between you know, 19 and 25 years from when he was anointed to finally become king over all of Israel. And now he's the king over all of Israel. Waiting's got to be one of the hardest things. Can I get an amen to that? And I think that waiting weeds out if you're truly called. Because if you're called, you'll be faithful while you're waiting. Amen? I remember that... Uh, totally off the track a little bit, but three of my buddies and I, when I was 18 years old, 
we all, had a, we all would argue with each other about who would get married first. And we all thought we would get married last. And so I don't know who decided to do this, but we each put $100 in, and then we had to put in 50 bucks a year until the last guy got married and he got all the money. Three of us got married within, within three years. I was the first one married. I met my wife. I'll, I'll, you can have $10,000. Game over. I'm getting married. Can I get an amen? So I married my wife. The other two guys got married. Then my last buddy, Doug, 10 more years before he got married. Every year, we're having to give that brother another 50. Dude, you won the bet. You can get married now. It's okay. But I remember him waiting to be married. And all of us were married and we're having children. And he's this good-looking, godly guy just waiting to be married. And he waited and waited. Literally, he got married about 12 years after I did. But you know what? I talked to him just the other day, and he's been married I don't know how long now, and his beautiful wife, Shannon, and they have three beautiful children. And I remind him of the waiting, and he doesn't even remember waiting anymore. See, when you're waiting, it's painful. And then when you see what God brings you at the end of the waiting, it's always worth it. Can I get an amen to that? And so David had waited a long time, but now David's the king. And he's going to be the king for the next 40 years. And God's going to use him in a mighty way. And David's going to, again, be the greatest king that Israel ever had. But even though he's a great king, he's also going to make some bad choices. So, point number one there, seek, wait, obey. God is working while we are waiting. I know a lot of people, a lot of the prayer requests I get are waiting for a spouse or waiting for a job or waiting for something. And a lot of times people get really discouraged while we're waiting. I want to encourage you, God hasn't forgotten. He knows what he's doing. Trust him. Amen? Point number two, move by God's commands, not the fear of men. I really love this section here. This is great. Look at verse six. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David could not come in here. So David becomes king, and the first thing he does is he goes to lay claim to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem was kind of on the border between Hebron and where the rest of the tribes were, where David was. He's moving in to their territory, but Jerusalem obviously is an important place. And the Jebusites were part of the people that God had commanded that when they went into the land of promise, they were supposed to wipe them off the face of the earth, and they hadn't done it. So the Jebusites are ruling in Jerusalem. And you have to understand, Jerusalem, even then, was a place of mighty walls, steep hills. It was a, it was a fortress, if you will, for this king, and it was a hard place to attack and to come against. And the Jebusites are so cocky. Here's what they said. David's army's mounting up. We know he had 350,000 people come to celebrate with him when he became king. The Bible says in Chronicles, they spent three days just rejoicing in David being king. They spent 22 years not making him king, and then three days rejoicing when he made king. And now he's the king, and they go there to fight, and the Jebusites mock King David, and they mock the army, and they said, the lame and blind people we got up here because of our fortress... They could wipe you dudes out if, if we didn't even help them. You cannot overcome us. You cannot defeat us. They're mocking 
David. They're mocking God's people. They're mocking the army of God. And guys, when you serve the Lord, there will be times when the world mocks you. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't need to worry about being mocked by men and what they have to say. We need to be faithful to what God has called us to do. And David is not going to be... And by the way, did they know David at all? Because while David's got some areas of his life that are a mess, being a warrior is not one of them. Can I get an amen to that? David, again, 11 foot 750 when everybody else is afraid. Do you think David's going to be afraid of Jerusalem? Do you think he's gonna, just going to cower and walk away? He's finally been anointed the king. He's got the Holy Spirit living inside of him. You know, he was the same one who fought Goliath when no one else would fight, and now he's going to be the one that takes Jerusalem when no one else would even dare go after it. You know what? When someone's called to lead, you know they're called to lead because they lead. Can I get an amen? He's going to do something that everybody else was afraid to do. He's going to step out in faith. He's going to trust the promises of God. We're going to see that he takes some steps before he does that. So Jerusalem was still in the hands of the, the Canaanites, remember? It's called Canaan land. And they were supposed to have been wiped out. And because of the fear largely of King Saul, the other king they had, as they were in the land, they had not done what God had called them to do. And so the Jebusites are taunting them. They're in a fortress that's hard to penetrate. And David, moved by God's command, not the fear of men, obeys the Lord's earlier command in the face of a very great obstacle. Again, they mock David and the children of Israel. And you know who else mocked? Goliath. For 40 days, Goliath came down and mocked the children of Israel. And when David came out to fight him, he said, what are you doing? You're sending a dog at me with sticks? He mocked David. David's been mocked before. And David's had God on his side before. And you know what's amazing is when you get to see God do something great in your life, aren't you a little more bold and have more faith the next time around? Can I get an amen? So there's not a doubt in my mind that King David, as he's approaching Jerusalem, he knows that God's going to win this battle. And you know what? When one man leads and has great faith, it increases the faith in others, doesn't it? When somebody steps out in faith, when somebody's unashamed of the gospel, when somebody speaks out for the things of God, all of a sudden other people who love the Lord will step out of their comfort zone to follow someone like that. And that's the man that David is going to be in Israel. So the giant fortresses are, are taunting of those in rebellion, must never slow or deter the man or woman of God from being faithful to the commands and call of God. No matter how big the giant is, no matter how the great the fortress is, no matter what it is that comes against you, we step out in faith and we obey the Lord and to God be all the glory. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, and that is the city of David. Boy, that that mighty battle, they summed it down to half a sentence. This mighty fortress that no one could penetrate. We're going to see a little more detail here in a minute. But they took it. They took Zion. You know, it's interesting. You fast forward, you know, some 3,000 plus years. And us moving our embassy to Jerusalem has stirred up some folks. Can I get an amen to that? Because we recognize that this is Israel... Jerusalem belongs to Israel. Can I get an amen? And guess who took Jerusalem back for Israel? Three th- King David. Can I get an amen? They had in, in taken the land 
And God sent his men to take it back. God sent David, his king, to take it back. And all those years they were waiting. They were occupying the land. It wasn't until God's man stepped up that God did a great and awesome work to bring the land back to them. The word Zion means sunny. And Jerusalem will become David's capital city. And there are two cities referred to in the Bible as called the city of David. One of them is Jerusalem, and the other one is Bethlehem. Look at verse 8. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And what's interesting about this is David calls amongst this army of men to say, look, here's how we're going to get in. We're going to climb up the water shaft. In David's day, the Canaanites built some, uh, some sort of covered passageway to get the spring uh, water into the city when the city was under siege. And the passageway, there's a passageway there now, if you go to Israel, called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It was built after this, and that was one of the ways they could get in and out of the city. They'd bring water in and out of that tunnel. If you go to Israel, you can actually, today, you can walk through that tunnel where the water used to come. It's still got water in it when you walk through it. And so, These people thought that God could not get to them, that God's people, the Canaanites, that God's people could no way get to them. And that's the arrogance of man to think that that somehow they can prevent God from bringing righteous judgment. Here's the reality. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is in control. God is on the throne. There's no escaping his judgment. You can shake your fist at God all you want. He may suffer long, but he won't suffer always. And eventually, righteous judgment is coming. And guess what? God gave to David the wisdom to say, here's how we're going to get into Jerusalem. If you can climb up the side by the watershed, and you can climb into Jerusalem and then open the gates and the army will come in and we will take over. And those that were there were just, we got the lame and the blind watching the gate, we're fine. And David, again, used by the Lord, he gives them wisdom. It's interesting that when God calls you to do something, he also not only gives you the passion to do it, but he gives you the gifting and the wisdom to know how to do it. Can I get an amen to that? See, when God calls you, he, he will equip you. He doesn't, you know, uh, call the equipped. He equips the called. So when God has a calling on your life and you don't feel like you can do it, that's a person God can use. Lord, I, I, I feel inadequate. I don't feel equipped. Perfect. Do you feel surrendered? Are you ready to live with reckless abandon for the Lord? And here's how you know if you're called. Here's how you know. You ready? If you can do anything else, you're not called. Because if you're called, you can't, you have to do it. Can I get an amen to that? When, when you're truly called and you're truly surrendered to the Lord, there, there's nothing else. No one can turn you to the right or to the left. This is what I'm called to do. It's a get to, not a have to. It becomes a passion. And King David is that man called and gifted by God. Look what he says here in verse 9. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. Milo means rampart or mound, part of the fortifications of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem had grown, has grown greatly since uh, David's day. This, this, this is uh, Jerus- you know, Jerusalem today. If you've ever been there, it's an awesome sight. First time I we went to Israel, I remember we spent four or five days up in 
Caesarea and Capernaum and all these other places. And when we came into Jerusalem, we had everybody on the bus close their eyes. And as soon as we came down the hill and as soon as we saw Jerusalem, we said, open up your eyes. And I mean, everybody in the, in the whole place, had, we had tears in our eyes. It's just a powerful, you know, what the guy said is he said, you know, you can pray to God anywhere, but from here it's a local call. Can I get an amen? You know, from Israel, you know, it's a local call. And so Jerusalem was God's place and it's still God's place. It's still God's place. And God used David to take that city of David back. This once impenetrable city, held firmly and confidently by the enemy, once the rightful king took the throne, it was quickly defeated. As soon as the rightful king was on the throne, the stronghold that the enemy had came down. And the same is true for us. If there's strongholds in your life, that there's areas of sin that you just can't get past, that you've struggled with for years and years, let me tell you, here's the solution. Put the Lord on the throne and surrender your life fully to him and ask him to give you the strength to get away from whatever that thing is that's been gripping your life, drugs, alcohol, uh, pride, anger, pornography, uh, greed, whatever it is. Uh, guys, the only way we're going to change is not us trying harder, but us surrendering fully. It's us saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so now David has taken over the city again. And, it's, and it says there in verse 10, So David went on and became, the, became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. It's not a lot of times in the Bible that you see the Bible talking about someone becoming great. David became great. David became a great king. David's greatness came at great expense, and it took a long time to develop. See, David was not a great king when he was anointed at 13. David had to go through fighting battles that no one would fight, fighting when nobody was watching, being faithful to, to rescue what seemed of no value to someone else but a sheep. It was preparing him to be the king that God wanted him to be. He had to be the one that would step out when everyone else was afraid. He had to be the one that wasn't worried about his age or the size of his enemy, but the greatness of his God. He was the one who had faith and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? He was the one that went out and slayed the tens of thousands of the Philistine army and had them running from a teenage boy with a slingshot. You know why? Because one man with God can chase a thousand of the enemy. Amen. And David was this mighty man of God being used so mightily by the Lord. But still, for him to become this place where he says that he was made great, he was a great king. Before he became a great king, he had spears thrown at him. He had his wife taken from him. He spent about 10 years hiding in caves and running from King Saul and being uh, falsely accused of things he hadn't done. See, and we, we want the... We want the strength of a mighty oak, right? You put an acorn in the ground, it becomes an oak tree. But it takes a while. And, you know, we want the strength of an oak, but we want it to grow up as quick as, a, you know, tomatoes or something, right? You know, they grow quickly, but they have no strength. And, you know, real strength comes from a long time going through great difficulty and seeing the faithfulness of God. You know, it's been said that, you know, diamonds... You know, coal becomes a diamond because of a long time with a lot of pressure. Amen? And King David is now called great here because he en has endured great things. And for the most part, we, we saw that, and it encourages me, 
is David kind of a roller coaster ride in the last about 10 chapters or so? He'll have a great chapter. You're like, dude, David rocks. He have another chapter. Is he saved? You know, he, he would run. He would pretend to be a madman. He got all the priests killed because he lied. He wouldn't help the Philistines. He was hanging out on the Philistine side for a while. The guy's supposed to kill all the Philistines. It's amazing. But you know what? That encourages me because that means God can use us. Can I get an amen? God can use someone like me. Flawed as I am, our God is faithful still. See, the real key to David's greatness is found in the rest of the verse. What does it say? And David went on and became great. Why? Because the Lord God of hosts was with him. See, this is what can make an ordinary man or woman great for the Lord, is if the Lord is with us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I get an amen to that? And what makes him great is how close he is to the Lord. The key to a great walk is to be walking with the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why does, why does God use some people so mightily, and others who've been Christians a long time, their lives seem to have very little or no fruit? Because one person is walking with the Lord, is desperate for Him, is walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is fully surrendered to God. You know, one of my favorite verses, it's, it's in my notes later, but you know, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. See, God's not looking for a better method. He's just looking for more men and women who will say, here I am, send me. Calabasas, there's two churches in this whole city. And we're the larger one. And the reality is that this city needs Jesus, amen? And I believe God has us here. We could have gone, you know, we could have gone to another city that's more, that's more, church friendly and the church would have grown a lot faster and lots of churches have come and gone in, in, in the last 10 years here but we're called to be here to reach people that nobody else really has a heart to reach and you know what when we obey God we get to see God do great things amen but guys we can't do it in our strength God's not looking for the most eloquent speaker he's not looking for the person with the greatest amount of you know charisma whatever what he's just looking for is people who say here I am Lord use me for your kingdom and for your glory. So point number two there, seek, wait, and obey. Notice that David was moved by God's commands, not the fear of man. See, people mocked him. He didn't slow down. There was a mighty fortress in front of him. Didn't waver one bit. See, you plus God is the majority. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And David had already seen that with Goliath, which gave him even more boldness to come against Jerusalem and recapture it and take it for God's people and for Israel. Point number three, called to serve others, not to make a name for ourselves. Look at verse 11. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. Now, I want you to know this is significant because when someone is truly implanted as king, one of the first things they would do is build a palace, if you will, or a home for him. And what's interesting is God's going to bring people from other nations to recognize the calling upon David's, David's life and to try to find favor with him by coming and donating things and helping build David a house. And I love this because for 22 years, David was the king, anointed, but not fully appointed to all of Israel. And now in a short amount of time, he becomes the king 
Other nations are recognizing it. 350,000 people of the 11 tribes showed up to celebrate with him. God gives him a great victory over Israel. And now other nations are coming and they're helping to build a house for David. And would later be called also the city of David. So David is being recognized as the king. And again, the idea of David now has a king's house, something like a palace. For kings in those days were considered essential for a king to build his own royal palace to authenticate his kingdom. When someone's called by God, others will recognize it. Others will recognize it. We, when we ordained Joshua a few weeks back, people were like, what? It, wasn't he ordained like three years ago? Because he's been serving as a pastor. Well, how do we know? Because we know that he's called. You guys have heard him. You talk to Joshua for five minutes, you know God's got a calling on his life. Amen? And here's the reality. When you recognize that, other people recognize when someone's called. And David's called, and now others are recognizing that he really is the rightful king. He's the one they've been waiting for all these years. Now look what it says. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel And he exalted his kingdom, he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. So why did he exalt the kingdom? Why did God exalt the kingdom? Why did David stand up for the kingdom? Not for the sake of David, but for the sake of the people. See, David, though he is king, he is not called to be served, but to serve. See, David is used by God because he's willing to go into battle when nobody else would. David's willing to be faithful to fight the enemies that no one else wants to fight. David is filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can minister to other people, not so he can draw praise for himself. And guys, if God has called you to do something, the truth in the calling is that you do it for others, and if no one ever recognizes you for doing it, it's okay because it's not about you. Can I get an amen? And when you do something for others, if you're tired, you're not that tired, because it's about people, not about you. If, you, if your phone rings at 2 a.m., you answer it. If someone needs help, you go minister to them. If something, you know, if, if Saturate USA needs some people to put some stuff in bags, you show up in Jesus' name. Amen? But the reality is, when we're called to serve, again, it's a get to, not a have to, People don't have to prop us up. Other people are going to recognize it. And again, it'll bring joy to your life. See, David knew that the Lord had established his kingdom over Israel. Man, it's so good to know that you're in the center of God's will. I can think of nothing better than to know you're doing what God wants you to do. And you know what? There are times in our lives when we know it, and there's times in our lives when maybe we don't. And let me just make it clear to you. God's not hiding what he has for you. So we can find out by spending time in prayer, spending time in his word. And you know what? If you don't know what to do, I love this term, dig a well. You know, go dig a well. And if water sprouts out, praise the Lord. If it doesn't, dig another one. Can I get an amen to that? Start serving somewhere as you're seeking direction from the Lord. Amen? If you wait until God shows you exactly what he wants, how he wants it. By the way, a lot of times he'll make you take the first step before he gives you the second one. You know, I started in ministry. I went to a a discipleship class on Sunday afternoons after driving home from a sales awards uh, thing, and I had won the sales award at at the time. It was like my goal. I'm in my early 20s, and I'm driving home, and I pulled off on the side of the road, and I was just weeping and acting on a parking ride. 
And I was crying out to the Lord. I'm like, okay, so I, I made a bunch of money and I got my, my goal financially and I won the sales award for the top rep in the state. And so what? What does this mean? It's, 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 it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn. Who cares? And then I said, Lord, I know you want more for my life, but I don't know what that means. But I just know you want more. And whatever you want, I'm in. I remember saying, Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Whatever you want, I'm in. You want to move to China? I'll move to China. So I go home and I tell my wife, hey, babe, guess what? Here's what happened. Here's what God's put in my heart. And my wife has told me that from that day forward, I was a different person. I believe that was the first time in my life I was actually filled, baptized, filled, whatever you want to call it, as my dad would say, just get it. Can I get an amen to that? To that? Holy Spirit fell upon me in a powerful way, and I, my life was just never the same. My priorities changed. My passions changed. What I wanted to do with my life changed. The following Sunday, the pastor got up and said, hey, by the way, you know, if you're here and you feel like God wants to do more with your life, I almost fell out of my chair. He said, we got to think all cross-training starting today, Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock when the Niners were playing the Raiders, and, and I knew God was showing me what's more important, football or God. And I went to the discipleship class, and the second week he asked me to pray about being the youth pastor. And I didn't even know what a youth pastor was. I didn't know what a youth pastor did. And I started teaching the Bible to five girls sitting around a table on Tuesday nights, having no idea what God would do next. See, guys, if we would just step out, and again, we all just need to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. I'm so thankful there's no tapes of those first Bible studies. Thank you, Jesus. What a disaster I'm sure those things were. But what happens is, it's, it's, guys, it's okay. I would rather have you guys try something and have it be a little messy and maybe ha- we have to fix it a little bit than have us all sit back and do nothing waiting for, for God to open up the clouds and scream at us. Can I get an amen to that? Let's get out of our... Con- and so King David, he knows that God has, God's done this. And he's waited a couple of decades for it to happen. But he's thankful. And he's praising God for it. And it says there in verse 13, now... This is where David just messes me up. David, have we seen some great stuff so far? This is the same chapter. David became the king. David went and took Jerusalem back. They've anointed him. He's, he's the king over all of Israel, finally. Uh, verse 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? Why is this verse in this chapter? I was so excited about what God was doing in his life. But here's what happens. Sometimes when we're in a place where God's moving in our life, we can have areas of our life where we cease to be desperate for God. See, David, we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, every time he fights a battle, he gets on his face. We're going to see in a few verses, he's going to fight the Philistines and win. And then he and ask God before he goes. And then he's getting ready to fight him again. And he gets on his knees again and asks God again. And he gets different instructions the second time. Every time he's fighting the battle, he's praying. But when it comes to women, he doesn't pray. Now, this is Pastor Dave's opinion. But I have an idea that sometimes we don't pray about stuff that we know God's going to tell us no. Can I get an amen to that? Well, I should pray about whether or not I should do that anymore, but give me a couple more weeks. I mean, here's the reality. We want to keep, you know, if I pray and ask God if I should keep doing that, should I keep dating this unbeliever, Lord? I don't have to, you don't have to pray about that. I'll answer that for No. Amen? But here's King David. 
He's just, man, what a great, what a godly man. He's a king over all. 350,000 people showed up. They threw a parade in his honor. They're celebrating. There's a huge feast. They, they conquered Jerusalem. It's about time. Look at all the things that David's gone through to get here. He's just taking more wives. David's a mighty man of God, a mighty warrior for God, and he's got a lust problem. And guess what? This lust problem is going to cause him more problems down the road. Point number four there, seeds of great failure planted in times of great success. Uh, it sort of started there in verse 13. So David became too dependent and too relaxed in a certain area of his life. You'll meet people and they'll say, well, I don't have to pray about my finances because I got, I got a great job and I'm, I'm great there. You know what? Keep praying. Can I get an amen to that? There are areas where we think we just don't need God's help. And we start to just operate in our own strength without seeking the Lord. And that's where David is when it comes to women. Reminds me of Samson. He man, she weak. Can I get an amen to that? And what happens is that he gets more concubines. We already know he had seven wives or eight wives before this chapter even started at least. And it says there, after he came, it says, he took concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. Now, these are the names of those that were born to him uh, in Jerusalem. Shemaiah, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, you've heard of him. Ibhar, Elusha, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Iliad, and Ephelat. So he has all these additional children that are born to him by all these additional wives and concubines. And again, David has a lust problem. David was doing well, again, finally anointed king, but he falls back into one area of great weakness. And again, the warning here is seeds of great failure planted in times of great success. You know, the two biggest things that disqualify people, pastors and, and leaders in ministry all the time, the two biggest things, number one, it's, it's, it's infidelity. That's number one. And number two is finances. And every time we go to the senior pastor's conference, Ch Pastor Chuck would get up the first message and he would always teach the kind of the same thing. And here's what it was. Touch not the women, touch not the money. You know, touch not the women, touch not the wine, touch not the money, touch not the glory. And he looked, he'd look around the room and there'd be 2,000, 2,500 senior pastors in the room. And he said, some of you guys will be out of the ministry and your, your, your uh, marriages will be over and you'll be... Uh, you know, alienated from your children because some of the men in this room in the next 12 months will choose to commit adultery. And the sad part is, is it happened every year in a group of that many people. See, take heed lest ye fall. If you don't recognize that we need to guard our, if it's, if it's not, maybe it's not, you know, uh, physical intimacy, maybe it's not lust for you, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's drug, I don't know, pride, comfort, whatever it is. You know what your strongholds are. You know the area of what you struggle with the most. You need to bring that to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, help me. Because I can't do it, but I can do all things in Christ. Here's David. This is going to be a problem. Have you heard of Bathsheba? Heard of her? She's coming. And by the way, when you give into a stronghold, it only gets worse and worse and worse. Because at first, he would just took wives. Then he took wives and concubines, but they were all single women. When he gets to Bathsheba, he's going to take someone else's wife. First time we see that recorded in Scripture. 
So when you allow a little bit of compromise, that compromise gets stronger and stronger and stronger and worse and worse and worse and further and further away from the Lord. Before you know it, one day you wake up and you think, how in the world did I get here? Slow fade, amen? You fade slowly away. And by the way, when he takes Bathsheba, he was supposed to be fighting, he was napping. He comes out on top of his palace, he sees a naked woman, and he says, get her for me. Because he's been doing that all along, he's the king. He can do what he wants. You know what the king needed? He needed some conviction of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? He needed some godly people around him to tell him that even though he was the king, he was out of line. We need people in our lives that love us enough to not just let us continue in our lifestyle without loving us enough to say, bro, what you're doing is wrong. Amen? We need people like that. David didn't have that. You know what David does? He takes Bathsheba, she gets pregnant. And then to cover it up, he has her husband brought home thinking he would sleep with his wife and think the baby was his, Uriah, and he won't. He's like, I can't know the comfort of my wife when my guys are fighting. King David's napping in the palace, and this guy won't go in with his own wife. So he sends him up to the front line and sends you know, orders to make sure this guy's in the front line so he dies. So he has a guy murdered to cover up his sin. See, but all the way back here is where the seeds of that started. When he was doing well, he allowed seeds of sinfulness to come into his life and they're going to produce great trials in the future he sows his his own sons by the way some of these sons on this list here and others that are going to come later from all these women he has some of them are going to be the ones that attack him he's going to have problems with his family because his family's not honoring to the lord you know the bible also says it's in deuteronomy it says that kings are not to multiply wives he wrote that verse for David and many others. You know why David's doing this? Because it's what the world does. See, kings would multiply wives because many wives was a, a sign of, of you know, greatness in a sense, right? He'd have all these children, all these prodigies after him, and it would show that you know, he was this man. So he followed the world's standard instead of following God's standard. And that's something we can all fall into. Don't follow the, the world's standard, follow the Lord's Uh, follow God's word and his commands. So, he's got all these kids. We see he's got an area of his life where he's struggling. And again, David seemed to deal better with adversity than he did with victory. See, when David was in a cave, he was being more faithful to God. Now that he's king and he's comfortable, he ceases to be desperate for God, at least in this area when it comes to lust. And guys, if you're here sowing seeds of destruction or living a life of unchecked sin, I want to encourage you tonight, it's time to repent. If you've got some, an area of your life that you know is a stronghold in your life, it's time to get on your knees and ask God to help you. Can I get an amen to that? Final point. Keep seeking the Lord for direction. Verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard it and went down to the stronghold. So it's interesting that the Philistines and David just keep butting into each other, don't they? David killed Goliath, and David killed Philistines, and David bought foreskins of Philistines. Then David joined the Philistines. Now David's back, the king of Israel, and the Philistines are coming back at him. By the way, they were supposed to wipe out all the Philistines when they got into the land, and all these battles were totally unnecessary because they disobeyed God. Amen? If you put it to death, 
You don't have to keep fighting it over and over and over again. Here's what it says. So they're, they're looking for David. They're coming after him. Do you think David's afraid? No, but he's going to seek God's wisdom. Look what happens. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Rephaim or uh, Rapha means giants. So in the valley of the giants, we'll see in a minute where this is. It's interesting that the Philistines, where Goliath was from, is gathering in the valley of the giants. So they're gathering in the valley of the giants to come against King, against King David and his people in Jerusalem. And David could have gone out in his own strength because he's defeated giants before. He's just captured Jerusalem. And like his struggle with lust, he could think he could do it in his own strength. And I think if he had, he'd have been in trouble. But watch what happens. Verse 19. So David, what? What does it say? He inquired of the Lord. David seeks direction from the Lord before going into battle. He knew that he was anointed king. He knew that God had told him he was going to have victory. He still got on his knees and asked the Lord for direction. It says, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said, David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went. Now I love this. Here it is. He seeks the Lord. He waits for an answer. And when he gets it, he obeys. A lot of times we'll inquire of the Lord and the Lord will give us an answer and then we don't do it. Well, we're not looking for that answer. I'm looking for a different answer. So I'm not doing that one. I'll keep praying and when he gives me the answer I want, then I'll do that. Or I'll just keep getting enough counsel from enough people until someone tells me what I want to hear. Well, David didn't do that. David inquired of the Lord. He waited on the Lord. The Lord told him what to do. And then it says there, so David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place Baal-perazim. What's interesting is, who does he give all the credit to? He gives all the credit to the Lord. The Lord has broken through. Baal Perazem means the Lord of breakthrough. And while David was established in, in Jerusalem, the Philistines are gathering their armies in the coastal cities preparing for war. And God gives David and the children of Israel a breakthrough victory against their long-standing arch enemies. And note, they prayed, they sought God's wisdom and direction, then they obeyed his command, and then God gave them the victory. So again, if there's a stronghold in your life, how do you overcome it? You seek God's wisdom and direction through prayer. And then when he gives you a command in his word, you obey him. Again, if there are long-standing strongholds in your life, follow David's example. You know, pray fervently and obey unconditionally. Kind of get an amen to that. Pray fervently and then obey unconditionally. You know, have obedience with reckless abandon for the kingdom of God. Last few verses. Notice what happens here. It's interesting. And David, and they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. What a contrast. David prays. His God, show, God shows up in a mighty and powerful way. God brings a great, great victory. Uh, God wipes out the enemy. David gives God the glory, and the Philistines all ran for their lives, and all their gods were laying around on the ground. You know, if your God's laying around on the ground, you don't have much of a God. Can I get an amen to that? And they picked them all up like debris on the side of the road. I've shared this before. I, when I go to India, I've been there seven times, and I was there a couple times during the high Hindu holiday, and they sell gods on the street. 
And they sell, they got, they got 30 million gods. 30 million. I had a Hindu guy go, you know, we have 30 million gods. You only have one. I said, yeah, we've got one true and living God. You got 30, you know, you might as well have 30, cart, 30 million cartoon characters at this point. Amen? But you walk down the street and they're selling all these gods. They got Lakshmi, the goddess of, of wealth. And I remember walking by and a guy hit the table and all these gods fell on the ground. They all shattered and broke into pieces. And I'm like, if your god can break, if you got to buy a new god every six months because the cat knocked it over or whatever, right? What a mess. So what a picture. God shows up. God brings victory. The Philistines are running and their gods are laying all over the ground. Guys, if you put your faith in anything that can be broken or lost, you put your faith in the wrong place. Amen. That includes your bank account or anywhere else. Then the Philistines went out once again, 22, and deployed themselves at the valley of Rephaim. Now watch verse 23. I love this. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. Do you see him praying again? So he just prayed. They won a victory. The enemy mounts up again, and David gets on his knees again. He didn't say, well, God said he'd give me the victory. I don't need to pray about that anymore. Guys, whatever it is that we're going through in life, we need to continue to pray about it all the time. Now watch what happens this time as we close. David inquired the Lord. He said, you shall not go up, but circle around behind them and come up in front of the mulberry trees. Man, I love when God gives specific answers to prayer. Can I get an amen to that? I'd like him to write on the wall, mulberry trees. That's beautiful. You know, notice that he prayed the other time and he said, just go up and attack them. This time he said, oh yeah, don't go up, go around them and and get behind the mulberry trees. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Can I get an amen to that? That's what we'll do, Lord. Okay, if that's what you want us to do. Now watch this. I love this. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you and you will strike the camp of the Philistines. Now I love this. They go around to where God told them to go and they had to sit and wait and listen. And they had to wait to hear what the Lord had told them they would hear before they acted. But here's what I love. As soon as they heard from the Lord, they did exactly what the Lord told them to do. And I think this is the disconnect for a lot of believers. God will show you something. God will open a door for you, and then we will be hesitant to act. Here's a real practical way. I've been pray- we've been, we were praying the last year, last two years. We were at the community center if you were going to church there, we had Sundays where people were standing against the wall. We had one classroom for all the children's ministries from, from toddlers to teenagers. We had people going through that church like crazy because they would come, we didn't have the ministry, or they'd show up late and there's nowhere to sit and they're standing against the wall. Or, and, and we were just praying, Lord, we, we looked at places that were too expensive and all of a sudden a rabbi calls us and says, hey, we, would you guys want to rent our place with us? Came over, looked in the window, looked too small. No. And they called back. No, we got a bigger. We come back. Now, you know what? We were praying God opened the door, so it would have been sin for us not to step through it. Can I get an amen to that? See, when God opens a door, we need to obey. Yes, Lord. You, you open it. You know what? Transparent. It tripled our rent. You know what? Where God guides, God provides. Amen? God will. God has. God will provide. God is faithful. You know what? God's going to use this place. God's, you know, people are going to get, lives are going to be, God's going to be glorified. So guys, when God opens a door, we got to step through it. And too often we pray that God will open a door and when he does, we make excuses why we can't do it. 
And then David says there, and then David did so as the Lord had commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. That's where all the old guys go to retire, Gezer. He's an old geezer, amen. David inquires of the Lord again, and he obeys the Lord again. Guys, the key is to keep seeking direction from the Lord, to keep, stay desperate, humble, and broken, stay on your knees, seek the Lord, and when he opens a door, step out in faith and allow God to do great and awesome things. Can I get an amen to that? And make sure God gets all the glory. So, seek, wait, obey. God is working while we are waiting. So if you're in a waiting stage in your life right now, I want you to know God's, God's not wasting time. God knows what he's doing. He's at work. Secondly, be moved by God's commands, not the fear of men. Don't be afraid of what men can do to you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Uh, we're called to serve others, not make a name for ourselves. If no one ever calls us by a title, if no one ever recognizes what we're doing for the Lord, it doesn't matter because we're doing it for the Lord, not for recognition of men. Be careful because seeds of great failure can be planted in times of great success. Sometimes when we're doing well, and a lot of times we start to trust in our own strength, and we cease to be as desperate for the Lord as we, want, as we should be, and that's when sin can creep in. And finally, we need to keep seeking the Lord for direction. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And Lord, we do pray. We pray for this city. We pray for this fellowship. We pray, Lord, for the churches that surround us. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, that you would continue to open doors and that, Lord, we would walk through them. That, Lord, we would be obedient to whatever you've called us to do. Lord, I also want to pray for anybody who's here tonight that has an area of stronghold in their life, an area that has just been a pattern and a part of their life for, for years, maybe even decades. Lord, I pray that you would drive them to their knees before you. And Lord, you would break down those strongholds, Lord, and help them to walk in the center of your will. I pray that for all of us. Help us to be the men and women of God you called us to be. Use us for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand up and close the worship song. <laughs>